Thanks, John. Uh, If you do have a Bible, please uh, keep it open there. Uh, David uh, Jackman, he reflects, when we think of this uh, grubby tennis ball of a planet set in the vast infinity of space, our own lives as just moments in the onward surge of time and our individuality among countless, countless others, can we really talk meaningfully about a God who loves us? And when we look at the world with all of its evil and and suffering, so many damaged and broken lives, how can there be a God who really loves? They're common questions. Where is God when I feel insignificant, overlooked, unloved? I can't see him. How can there be a a loving God with this world of pain? I can't see him. Yet John the Apostle, uh, one of the eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and teaching, Jesus' death and, and resurrection, John insists that God not only loves, but you see in verse 8 of your Bible and again in verse 16, John insists that God is love. John identifies both the source of love and the definition of love as God himself. You want to know what love is. You want to know where love ultimately comes from. Well, you you look to the God of the Bible. Just as John said in chapter 1 that God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. Now John says God is love. That's not not a small thing to say, is it? What what does that mean, that that God is love? It's helpful to remember, I think, that God is revealed in the Bible as Trinity. One God in three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. One God in three persons. Now, we'll never get our heads around the fullness of what that means, but we can at least understand that at the heart of God, there is an eternal, dynamic interrelationship of love. The Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Spirit, and on and on. John chapter 17 is a good place to read about this, where Jesus prays to the Father. Now, in human relationships, love is often conditional, isn't it? Depending on how attractive or worthy the other is. Depending on emotions and ideas. I'll love you if. Or I cannot love you because. But as Jackman says, God's love cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved. God loves us because that is his nature. God is love. Uh, God, why do you love me? I love you because I love you. It's his nature. That makes some sense then of what John says. We read in verse 7, dear friends, you look in your Bible, uh, more literally, dear friends is translated beloved. Beloved, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. God. 
the, the maker of everyone and everything, is the source of love. Makes sense, doesn't it? Well, where else does love come from if not from him? Just as he's the source of all true light. But the second half of that verse is interesting, wouldn't you say? Uh, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Does that mean that every form of human love is evidence for spiritual life? Or that it's impossible for someone who doesn't trust in Jesus to love? You don't know Jesus, you can't love. No, that's not what John is saying. He has a specific kind of love on view here. It's the the brother-sister love, uh, brotherly love, brothers and sisters in Christ, church family kind of a love. And he's already talked about this a couple of times in his letter. The presence of this kind of love, says John, is evidence of new birth in Jesus. Evidence of that relational knowledge of God. Its absence, though, suggests you may not belong to him. That said, if God is the source of all love, whatever love a person has in them, it comes from God. As God's image bearers, loving human relationships are a part of God's common grace to all people, whether we follow Jesus or not. What John has on view here, though, is the believer's love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Anyway, you may have picked this up as John read it. The word love, including loves, loved and beloved, it's repeated 29 times in this section that we're looking at. Uh, The subject of the section is obviously love. So if God is love, its source... And its definition, where, where do we see it? Uh, in this vast and broken world. Where do we see God's love? You, you may have friends asking that question. You, you may ask it yourself. God, if you're real, where's your love? Uh, John gives two examples. There are other examples, but here John gives two. Firstly, Uh, Verse 9 and 10, God's love is seen in the cross of Jesus. Uh, Let me read. Uh, John says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, you, you say that God loves us, but, but, but I don't see it. Well, then you're to look at Jesus, <laughs> says John. That is, where to look at the public appearance of the eternal, unique Son of God, which happened in history just over 2,000 years ago. Where to look at the virgin birth. It's what Christians remember at Christmas time. Where to look at his, his death and his resurrection, what we remember at Easter time. The, the, the story of the Bible affirms the reality that this world is a mess. Evil and, and suffering, so many damaged and broken lives. 
And according to the Bible, this is a result of sin. Back in the beginning, instead of living in loving relationship with God, trusting him and and enjoying him, Adam and Eve, the first people, they, they rejected God's word as light and love. And following Satan's lie, they rejected God's light and love. And since then, this is our natural disposition, isn't it? Uh, We live life the Isuzu Ute way. They're a good vehicle, the Isuzu. We've got one. But their slogan is wrong, isn't it? Uh, Go your own way. Well, that's how we do it. Go your own, live your own way. When we do that, we're rejecting God's love for us. And the mess of this world is the result. In God's kindness, though, we don't get the fullness, we don't yet know the fullness of life in separation from Him. The mess we know now, it's just a taste. He still gives us so many things to enjoy. And God was not obligated to seek and save any human being. We rejected his love. We've said, bugger off. We've gone our own way. And sometimes, have you noticed this? Sometimes we might think, well, God loves me because I'm a good person. As we compare ourselves to someone who we view as worse than us, God loves me because I'm pretty good. Or God loves me because I've pursued him. But notice from verse 10 that that God is the great initiator. Even though we've rejected his love, we read this is love. Not that we love God, we didn't, we haven't, but that he loved us. And what's remarkable about this, and it's a wonderful truth, a Christian truth, isn't it? That God decides to show his love to those who don't love him and who do not want to love him. He loves us while we're ugly. There's not many blokes around who will love an ugly woman. But God loves us while we're ugly. He shows his love to enemies and rebels armed to the teeth against him. To a world of lost sinners... God shows his love. God is the great initiator, not us. And to put it really bluntly, there is nothing in you that would make God want to love you. It's not about you. It's about him. He loves you because he loves you. He is love. Love, it comes from him. If you've got kids, do you ever find yourself in this situation with them? Dad, why do you love me? Oh, why do I, why do I, uh, is it that I'm smart? Is it that I'm funny? Is it that I'm sporty? Is it that I'm really obedient and I do whatever you say? Is it that I make you look good among the other parents? Is that why you love me? No, I, I love you because I love you. I love you because I love you. This is how God relates to us. 
Doug O'Donnell says that the contemporary concept of a loving God or a God whose very essence is love is that he cannot and will not judge anyone for any, anything. The, the contemporary view, God is love, means that God is tolerant of all theological perspectives and lifestyles. That is not what the Bible says. This God who is love is also light. In him there is no darkness at all, and so he is just and must punish sin. Light and love go together. So in the second half of verse 10, we see that God's love for people, it centres on this problem that needs dealing with, this problem of sin and our need for a rescue. And if you've been reading one, John, you notice, oh, this is the second time now in the letter that John has reminded us that God the Father sends his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is the wrath of God the Father, his anger over sin, his light, his anger over sin is poured out on God the Son in our place. Justice is done. Just as my mum pays my speeding fine when I'm a young adult in my place, she's a good mum, isn't she? So Jesus dies the death I deserve. Jesus, our substitute, is this cosmic child abuse, the wrath of the Father on the Son? No, it's the love of God. One God in three persons. One God in perfect unity. So great and wonderful is God's love that C.S. Lewis puts it, God would rather die for us than live without us. We live in a world that defines love by emotion, something you fall into and you fall out of. It's selfish. I love you because of how you make me feel. I love you because you make me a better version of myself. But God's love is seen, it's made known, it's manifest, it's shown in the self-sacrificial love of Jesus. Uh, in his book, The Cross of Christ, John Stott says, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Jesus, our substitute. Self-sacrificial love, other person-centred love. That's what love is. This is love. God's love is seen. I can't see it. It's seen in the cross of Jesus. That's point one. But notice, too, from verses 11 to 21, really the rest of this passage, God's love is seen in how Christians love one another. Just uh, verse 11 and 12 first, let me read there. Dear friends, more literally beloved, remember? Beloved, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So if God is love, uh, the source of love, the definition of love, where do we see it? One, we see it in the cross of Jesus, and two, we see it in the community of Jesus. 
we see God's love as God's people love one another in response to God's love for us. Jesus' physical presence is obviously no longer with us in this world. But if people want to see him, they should be able to meet him in the local church community. We should encounter God's love in the love we Christians have for one another. Why? Because verse 12, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now that verse is is amazing, isn't it? God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It is amazing and it is really challenging. Too often the local church is is not known for its Christ-like love. I know I'd like to be more loving than what I am. Too often we, we may view church as an event that we show up to every now and again rather than a community, a loving family that we belong to. How is it again that God lives in us and we live in him? This is the eternal God, remember, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. How can we be confident that we're connected to him, that we're in him? Well, I reckon this is what John explores in verse 13 to 18. Verse 13 says, we, we know we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. There's the testimony of, of God the Holy Spirit who tells us that we're his children. You read about that more in Romans 8. God's spirit testifies with our spirit that we belong to him. But that can be a bit subjective. Sometimes we have our doubts. Well, what does the Holy Spirit help us to to live and believe? Verse 14 to 15, the apostles' teaching that the Father really did send the Son to be the Saviour of the world, that Jesus is God the Son, that he really did die and rise from the dead. We acknowledge this, we believe this. And verse 15, God lives in us and we live in him. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us, says John. We rest in the saving work of Jesus. And verse 17 and 18, we have confidence for the day of judgment. Our sin is dealt with at the atonement. God the Son, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so verse 19 to 21 We love because he first loved us. It's pretty simple really, isn't it? I I take it that the false teachers in the original context, while not acknowledging that Jesus is the the God-man, fully God and fully man, they were also coming up short in the family love department. Maybe they were using that word love like our world does. But their actions were selfish, (laughs) And so John says, verse 20 and 21, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. 
And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So, so there's two points from the passage today, isn't there? Point one, God who is love loves us. It's not about us. It's about him. And point two, as we respond to him, as we live in this love, as we're brought up into this Trinitarian relationship, which is staggering, as we live in this love of God, we love one another. What does that look like? All kinds of things, but not hate. Uh, not hate, but, but when we forgive each other and keep no record of wrongs, there's this kind of love at work. When we care for others, even when they might have hurt us in the past. There's God's love at work in, in his people. When we serve one another sacrificially, thinking not of our own needs, but of the needs of the other, we see God's work, God's love in his people. And when we're asked, why, why would you do that, that loving thing? The response isn't because you're nice or because I like you. It's not even I love you because I love you, but it's I love you because God who is love first loved me. I love you because I live in the life and love of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And they'll think you're a weirdo when you respond that way, won't they? And I don't know, yeah. Let's pray about that. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this beautiful and famous passage. Uh, this is love. Not that we loved you. Lord, we acknowledge we haven't loved you. Actually, we're pretty selfish. We like to go our own way. And for this, we're sorry. But Lord, we praise you that while we were doing our own thing, you pursue us. You pursue this broken and messed up world at Christmas time, Father, by sending your Son into this mess, living the life we should have lived and dying the death that we deserve. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your self-sacrificial love. And Lord, we pray that your love would shape ours. That when we think of love, we wouldn't think emotion and feeling and me feeling good about myself. But that we would think of the other as you thought of us. And Holy Spirit, we praise you for applying these wonderful truths to our hearts. That as we see the evidence that Jesus really did live and die and rise, that uh, Holy Spirit, you make our hearts sing. Lord God, help us live in you, uh, your life and your love. And as we love one another, may they all know that we belong to you. Amen.